Welcome to what was formerly known as the Know and Do podcast. My name is Justin Barton, and I am excited to still be hosting this podcast. It will just be under a new name, and I'm super pumped about that. Name is Journey Through Life. This is the Journey Through Life podcast. I think this name can make it be a little bit more all-encompassing and still give everybody who's involved, every guest that I have and myself, opportunities to share life experiences, positive, negative, lessons learned. I think it's a fantastic name, and I think it's one that will stick and have a lot of success moving forward. I'm really grateful to the listeners for their feedback, for the comments that they make, and for the um, interactions I have with people when I meet them on the street, sharing their insights that they've gained as they've listened to specific episodes of the podcast. Moving forward, you'll still be able to, at least as of now, find the podcast on Facebook using No and Do. I do have the request into Facebook to update the Facebook page to Journey Through Life, and I'm hoping to get that finalized very soon. But as of the time I'm recording, you still find it at No and Do Podcast. Another cool thing is I now have a website. The website is new. And it's being built as we speak. But you can find it at jtlpod.com. That's www.jtlpod.com. Six letters in the domain name. It's fantastic. JTL for Journey Through Life. So that is some of the really exciting news for me, at least, in this. I do have one more bit of exciting news. But first I want to briefly introduce the conversation that... I recorded here with Chris Palfrey. Chris Palfrey is a friend of mine that I met not too long ago, but have found him to be one of the most authentic and funny and down-to-earth people of my acquaintance. I learned so much about him in this conversation that really left my jaw on the floor. I am amazed by his resilience and his ability to rise above some situations that he was put in as a child, as a youth, and as a young adult, and places where he overcame a lot of really tough trials. But before we get to that, I am beyond excited to make this next announcement. I'm excited to let you know of a relationship I have recently formed with a great company that fits perfectly with the theme of the Journey Through Life podcast. A Life Untold is a company that helps absolutely anyone turn their life story into a beautifully designed hardcover book. Their process is designed to be easy for everyone. All you do is complete an interview with thought-provoking questions about your life. You can either do that online or get one of their biographers to interview you live over the phone. After the interview is complete, A Life Untold takes over and designs, prints, and delivers your life story as a hardcover book to your door. It makes for a great gift to a loved one in your life or will be a great project to do on your own. Either way, this life story, bound in a printed book, is something your family will treasure for generations. I'm grateful to announce that listeners of the Journey Through Life podcast will save 10% on all orders by using the code JUSTIN at checkout. 
That's Justin, J-U-S-T-I-N, at checkout. You'll find all the details on their website at www.alifeuntold.com. Remember to use the promo code Justin when checking out at alifeuntold.com to save 10%. And if you miss that website and code, don't worry about it. You can always look in the show notes and those links will be there for you. Man, I'm excited about these changes with the podcast and I'm super excited to get going and share with you this conversation I had with Chris Palfrey. I'm entitling this conversation, Don't Hold On To It. It's a very powerful lesson that he teaches in this conversation, and I hope that each of us will learn something from it. One more thing that I am sure that you will notice very quickly is that as we were recording in the Palfrey's home, they have a couple of big birds who are quite loud. So I have a second guest in this one. Now onto the conversation with Chris Palfrey. Chris, I'm really excited to sit down with you about this. I know that, uh, have you ever done anything like this before? Sat down and had like an interview or anything no, like that? No, <laughs> the, awesome. probably the closest thing to it would have been when I first came over to the States. Uh, one of our neighbors was doing a project for high school and she chose Australia. Mm. So of course she asked me a bunch of stuff about Australia then, but that's kind of, you know, <laughs> Teenager, that's yeah, it. teenage stuff. And, and, yeah. and this will probably be not too different than that, but I kind of want to dig into a couple of things and see mm-hmm. and, and get to know you a little bit, you know? So so obviously, um, you said since you came over to the States mm-hmm. and the, 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 the student wanted to know about Australia and your accent, it's it's obvious that you're from Australia. So yep. tell me a little bit about that. How, um, how did your ancestors get to Australia? Where did they come from? Well, and then tell me a little bit about them. Yeah, well... My, I believe my sister um, did some digging many, many years ago, and it actually turns out that our family from way, way back is a mixture of Scottish and Irish, and they were actually Scottish and Irish nobility. Mm. The problem being, Scottish and Irish didn't get along that well at the time, so when they got together, they were. Mm. ostracized from the family mm. but they were still you know like still nobility but they were no longer recognized by the family mm. well then our first ancestor to come to australia was actually um a lieutenant in the rum corps which the rum corps was the first military the police everything in the original colony in mm. sydney and so he, in a sense, was one of the jailers, not one of the convicts. Not one of the convicts. <laughs> yes. So, yeah. So I, I get a lot of people say, oh, you know, Aussies, you're, you're a convict. I'm like, ah, no, I, I'm not. My family was the jailer, not the convict. <laughs> so about how long ago was that? When, when do you think that happened? Oh, God. About? Well, the first one was in the late 1700s was the first ancestor to come in to Australia because mm. I think it, Australia was like like with Captain Cook was discovered in 1770 and then uh, the first fleet came in around and I'm spitballing here 1778 something like that I think okay. it was around that era and he wasn't on the first fleet 
but he was in one of the subsequent ones in, within the next few years. Mm. So our family's been there for a long, long time. Yeah, several hundred, a few hundred years. Yeah. That's, yeah. that's great. Um, and have they always been around the Sydney area, or do you have people branched off throughout? We, we, yeah, no, we've got, um, I know of at least several um, relatives down in Melbourne, which is down in the south of Australia. Uh, I believe we have family members out west, some up in Queensland. So, yeah, they're kind of, they're, they're spread out, but mostly on the eastern half of the country. And that's where most of the population is yeah. in Australia anyways, yeah. is on the eastern half. And I'm speaking, no idea what I'm talking about. No, it's wrong. There, but yeah. uh, just from my fourth grade, mm. you know, unit, unit on Australia and singing uh, uh, Jumbuck in the Tucker Bag. I can't remember the name of the <laughs> Waltzing song. Matilda. Waltzing Matilda. <laughs> yes, yes. <laughs> And learning that song from fourth or fifth grade yeah. whenever I It's funny. There, there are days when I'm, you know, kind of zoned out and, and I'll be whistling and I'll I'll whistle things like Waltzing Matilda, Matilda Click Go the Shears, all Aussie, you know, quintessential songs. Right, right. So what types of things, you said that the first, um, the first of your ancestors that mm -hmm. came to Australia was a, a lieutenant, was a jailer, mm -hmm. was, mm -hmm. was a police officer. What types of things have your family done over the years uh, professionally? Um, well, I haven't seen a lot of it, so I, I don't know for sure most of it. Um, but I, I know my father, whom I never met, mm. He, from what I've been told and from what I could gather from some documents that I found, spent most of his time in jail. So mm. he, he flipped the family around, he I guess. He did become the convict. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, <laughs> but like I said, I never met him. I tried, oh God, I tried for years to find him. Mm. But was unsuccessful. Every time, every lead I found ended up a dead end. Mm. So... And, and I assume he's dead now. You assume that, there, mm. but you don't know that. I'm not, sure. No, I don't right. know, because I can never find any records uh, past like, the mid-80s. Mm. So he kind of disappeared at that point. And... Did you ever know his parents, your grandparents no. on that side at all? No, I didn't know any of them. So tell me a little bit about your the, the oldest relatives, maybe your mother's parents or grandparents, that you recall as a child. Actually, I don't believe that I ever met any of either my father's parents or my mother's. Hmm. Not that I recall. Right. Um, the only ones I did was she ended up with another gentleman years later whom when I was an adult she eventually married. So I guess after all that time he was my stepdad eventually. Right. Um, I knew his parents hmm. but other than that, yeah, I, I didn't mm. know any of my own grandparents. I, I met a few cousins here and there. And, right. But, yeah, it's, so most were, of the family kind of yeah. disappeared out into different areas and didn't kind of keep contact. Do you feel like you have a a, founda a, fa a familial foundation then? Do you, or do you kind of feel kind of floating <sighs> out there? Kind of disconnected. Yeah. It's, you know, because when you don't know the people, you kind of get a little, well, what I should be, who I should be, mm. you know, because the, your your grandparents and, and other relatives help to 
make people who they are. Right. You know, it's like you know, I I don't want my grandchildren to not know their grandparents. Right. You know, because I I missed a lot mm. with that. So who do you think filled kind of those holes in your life? Was your mother a very important person in your life? She was uh, um, up until adulthood, and I found out some not so nice things about my mother, and mm. we actually were estranged until her death, mm. at which point I regretted not making the effort to reconcile. Mm. Does that hurt? It yeah. I, I had always said that don't care what happens to her, mm. but when it happened, I cared deeply. Cared a lot. Yeah. Wow. So so as a child then, your mother had some influence until mm-hmm. you, you learned some things. Who else was influential uh, in your life as you were a youth and a child? Well, when I was a little kid and had things happened the way they wanted, my life would have been totally different. Mm. Because my mother actually put all of us kids into a home at one point because Mm. she was unable or unwilling, as I later found out, Mm -hmm. (laughs) to have us at Mm. that point in her life. So whilst we were in the home for holidays and things, they would foster us out to different families. And several times I was fostered out to the same family because they actually requested me Mm. after the first time. And they lived on a farm. Me and their son got along very well and crashed their tractor. (laughs) And a few other... I want to hear that story. Let's talk about that. Crashed the tractor. Let's hear about that. Well, gosh, I I think we're about five or six oh so you're really young oh yeah yeah Yeah. but we we would get up with the father who would get up at like 4 30 and we'd have the typical farmer's breakfast bacon eggs and all the rest of it Mm -hmm. we we had everything the same as he did Mm -hmm. and then he would go off on the farm and do what he had to do and we'd go out and play in the barn and you know play with the animals whatever you know well, this particular day, we get out there and the tractor's sitting in the backyard. So we're like normal kids. We jumped on the tractor, you know, and we're playing with it and pretending like we're driving around on the tractor. And and I I don't remember who did it. I think it was the farmer's son, but I'm not sure. Somebody disengaged the handbrake. And, of course, we're still sitting on there and we're playing around. Well, the tractor started to roll and it kept rolling until it hit a tree. <laughs> so, so we crashed the tractor into the tree and, yeah, we got into a lot of trouble for that one. But even though we got in a lot of trouble, it was, you know, you've gotten into trouble. You're punished. It's done. But, you know, they, they were really, really nice people. And yes, we got into a lot of trouble. We both spent the afternoon in our room because we weren't allowed out because we'd been. Mm-hmm. But once we had done the punishment, which was spend the afternoon in the room, it was done. Mm. You know, because they, they were, like I said, they were really, really nice people. And they actually wanted to adopt me. Mm. But 
even though at the time my mother didn't want us, she didn't want someone else to have us. Mm. So she refused to let them. Right. So, so had she, my life would have probably been totally different. Yeah. Interesting. So what, what's the name of that family? What, what was that family? Like? I don't remember. Oh, okay. I, I honestly don't. I tried to find out oh. years later. Yeah. But when I went back to the home, the home was no longer a home. Oh. And it was a retreat for um, nuns. Oh, wow. So all the records were gone. So it was while you were really young. Yeah, I would, like I said, I was around five, five or six, something like and that. And you went yeah. to several holiday vacations with, uh, them, with yeah. them. I just remember little yeah. snippets, you know. Wow. Man. Okay, so at some point you get back in your mother's home, mm-hmm. correct? Yeah. About how old were you then when that happened? Oh, let me let me back uh, up a minute. Yeah. So you're in a an orphanage type yes, place? Yes, it was a Catholic home for children, okay. for unwanted children. What other experiences did you have there that that uh, maybe some some life forming experiences, um, good or bad? Which yeah, one? yeah. Well, I found out don't trust n- nuns. Mm. <laughs> when when I say that, it's not like don't trust them. I mean, right. We we had a jar, right, and it was one of them big, kind of like two liter jars, mm-hmm. and. At the time, we still had pennies and shillings and stuff like that. And whenever we'd get a halfpenny or a penny, we'd stick it in a jar and we'd save it. Well, that jar was full of pennies and whatnot. Mm-hmm. When mum came and picked us up, the nuns wouldn't let us take it. They kept it. Oh. Yeah. Huh. And I'm like, that kind of... Yeah, I, I, I was not. That was your money that you were saving. It was, yeah, yeah. you know. But they, I, and I don't know for what reason or mm. why, but they kept it, and yeah. we never saw it again. Oh, which it was a bummer because you know that big jar was probably probably had a few few pounds in it right, <laughs> at right. the time. Right, right. So there's that. So so at some point you get back to to mm-hmm. living with your mother. About how old were you then? I believe it was around seven. About seven. I so, believe. so really, you're you're in an orphanage from, I don't know what, three or four years old. Yeah, something seven. like that. It was for it was for about three three or four years, I believe. Mm-hmm. Again, it's hard to tell because right. Mum was never one to talk about it, mm-hmm. and trying to find the records was near impossible. So, wow. so tell me some. Uh, other influential people, maybe from age seven through young adulthood, I guess. Um, we, well, we tended to move around a lot, and I'm not sure why. Just mum, I guess, couldn't stay in one area mm. too long for some reason or other. But so we never really had a lot of role models or, or anyone to kind of really be there until. Kenny came on the scene, which... And Kenny is the man who eventually became yes. your stepfather? Yes, okay. he is. Um, and he was an odd duck, mm. <laughs> but that's... Yeah. Right. But he came in, and he kind of came in, then went out, and then came back again a couple of years later, I believe. Again, it's yeah, it's been a long time. Right, right, right. Um, but once he finally did come back in... He he kind of took over the role of dad, even though he didn't really. 
I don't think he really wanted it, mm. you know. And as I said, he was an odd duck, so he had some weird little eccentricities, shall we say. Okay. <laughs> but he was probably he was probably one of the one of the people who instilled in me a really good work ethic because mm. that man worked his ass off. Mm. I mean, he 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 drove taxis, okay. right? Um, so he was out on, in the taxi all the time, um, trying to provide and whatnot. And even he would work in the garage as well that the taxi was company was based out of. And there was one time where he was servicing one of the taxis because he would work in there as well as drive the taxi to try and earn extra. And he was adding transmission fluid for this particular taxi. And then he told her to run it through the gears and whatnot. Well, when she came down into drive, she slipped off the brake and onto the accelerator mm -hmm. and he was in front of her and behind him was a cabinet on the wall and his leg got snapped under the cabinet oh yeah it was it was a nasty by the time it all was said and done and fixed up his leg was half an inch shorter than the other one because of it but even even when that happened he he was off work for for a couple of weeks obviously because it was a really serious break but once he got he he got back to work as soon as he could because you worked and you earned your living right you know? that that's what you did and that's what he instilled in most of us kids except his <laughs> own actual biological son uh. who decided to become a criminal mm. as well mm. the last i heard there was a warrant out for his arrest for dealing drugs mm. so but that was quite a while back, and I have not seen or heard anything about right. him since. So he may well be in jail. Who knows? Right. right. <laughs> he, may, he may have flipped the family as well. <laughs> Very interesting. Yeah. So how, and, and I may be jumping ahead too mm -hmm. far here if mm -hmm. I am, back up and no. say, no, I want to talk about this. But how did you end up coming to the United States then? Well, that, that was kind of an interesting story actually mm -hmm. because i i was working working on the internet at the time okay. um, doing web web design and stuff and i had my own business which i was in partnership with another gentleman back in australia i ended up selling my share of the business to him because i was working 20 hours a day mm. i was making a lot of money but i had no life right so i said now yeah, i'm i'm done i'm so I sold my share of the business. I got out. And that's actually what I lived on for a couple of years until things got sorted out here in the States. But I actually, I knew Sherry from a chat room. Mm. And I'd known her for a couple of years at that point. And I, I knew a, another lady in England. So I went over to England to, to meet her and, you know, see if there was you know, going to be some chemistry yeah right. and i thought everything was going great and then she disappeared mm. so i went back to find her and it turned out that she was just the only reason she'd done it was because at the time i had money mm. and because i was 
selling the business at that point. She figured the money was not going to be there anymore, so she wasn't interested in it. Uh, no biggie. But I was kind of heartbroken, and me and Sherry were talking, and you know she was kind of just a really good friend. And the more we talked, the more we got to know each other. And over time, our friendship grew, and we we would. I mean, I'm in Australia; she's in New York State. Mm. So the time difference was, you know, mm-hmm. I'd I'd be in bed while she's doing yeah. stuff with the kids and whatnot mm-hmm. here, and then then I'd be the opposite way around, you know. So it was we we would catch in the middle. And we'd talk, we'd talk for hours, mm. you know, about everything and anything. Mm. And we were, we were talking one day. I, I had just gotten my phone bill and it was quite high because I <laughs> spent most of my time on the phone with her. Right, right. And she's, she was like, oh my goodness, that is so much. I'm like, eh, it's only money. You know, because, I mean, it is, it's only yeah. money. She's like, wow, for that amount, you could fly and we could talk in person. I'm like, yeah, you're probably right. Mm-hmm. Well, we finished the conversation up because she had to she had to go to bed because it was morning in Australia. Right. And I sat there for a, for about half an hour and I was thinking, I'm like, you know, she's right. For that kind of money, I could either fly up there or fly her down here. So I went in to my travel agent and said, I need a ticket. She said, where to? I said, not where to, where from? And she's like, what? Mm-hmm. So I want to fly someone from the States down here. And she's like, oh, okay. She said, well, where does she she live? And I said, well, I know it's somewhere in upstate New York. And I, and I knew the name of it. Beaver Dams is where she was living at the time. Okay. And so she's like, okay, let me look it up. So she couldn't find anything, and she didn't know where the area was, so she couldn't try finding something. She said, so well, what, what about if I get you a ticket from New York to here, right, and then we, she can figure out. Yeah, right. yeah. So I'm like, yeah, that, okay, that works. So, so I, I paid for that and went home, and, and of course then it was a wait until it was morning over here so she'd be up and she'd get online and, and we'd start talking again and I was I so wanted to show her you know and uh, finally she she gets up and she she gets on she says hey I'm just getting the boys off to school she said give me give me about half an hour and I'll come back I'm like okay not a problem she finally comes back I said I got something to show you and she's like what I said well remember the conversation we had yesterday she's like Vaguely, yeah. I said, have a look at this. So I grabbed the camera off the thing and I put it on the ticket. And she's like, what's that? And I said, read it. And she's like, well, I can't. It's all blurry. I'm like, oh, hang on. Because <laughs> the old days you had to focus right, right. The, the webcam. So I focused it in for her. And she's like, itinerary for sure. What is that? I said, that's your plane ticket. She's like, what? I said, I bought your plane ticket. I said, you've got... Two weeks, and then you'll be down here for a week. She's like, I don't have a passport. I said, well, you better get one. <laughs> She's like, well, she said, I can't get a passport. It, it, it's too quick. I said, well, I'm sure you can get an expedited one. And she's like, well, yeah, but I'd have to go all the way down to Pennsylvania, right, because I guess the closest passport place okay. was down in Pennsylvania. 
um, to get it expedited. And she said, and it's going to cost. I said, don't worry about the cost. I said, you tell me how much it is. I said, I will send you the money. I said, also, I need to know, because I, I don't know how far you are from New York, because mm -hmm. the ticket's from New York to here. Right, right. And she's like, well, you know, there's a small airport at whatever. And I said, well, look, find out how much it costs to fly from there into New York, right? Tell me how much it is. I'll send you the money. So, you, you know, right. it's all taken care of. So she went down to Pennsylvania. She calls me from a payphone in Pennsylvania, <laughs> says, you know, we're down here. I've just been in there, and it's going to be like four hours before I can pick up the passport. She's like, I don't know what I'm going to do for four hours. <laughs> so I said, well, go and buy yourself some lunch. Go and, you know, yeah. whatever. She eventually, she calls me back later that night over here and said, okay, she's got the passport. She's got all this. She's organized for the kids to be looked after, blah, blah, blah. So I was like, okay. So she flew down to Australia. By this point in time, I'd already decided, you know, because like I said, we'd been talking for so long. Right. I'd already decided that she was, for me, she right. was the one I was going to want, that I wanted. And I rented a limousine. So I had a limousine pick us up at the airport. Mm. I had this huge bouquet of roses. And when she came out of customs, finally, because <laughs> it was winter in Australia. Ah. So she was in shorts and a top because it was hot when she right, left. And, right. it, and um, she comes out and I gave her a hug. And then I got down on one knee and I asked her to marry me right wow. there in the airport. First time you met her face to face. Yep. <laughs> yep. Like I said, you know, I mean, we've been talking for, right, so for a long time. And you know, we both knew each other uh -huh. intimately. And so I, yeah, and I had already made up my mind. Mm. And I'd, e I'd even picked out her engagement ring, um, which I hadn't bought yet because of how much it was. And I wanted to make sure she liked it first. Mm -hmm. So I had a, I bought another ring, which cost me like $1,800 to just give her at the time. Mm -hmm. And then when, when we went out, I took her down to the jewelers, and the jeweler that I used, she came over to me. She said, so this is this is her, huh? I'm like, yep. I said, have you got the ring? She's like, yeah. She pulls it out, and it sits it up there, and Sherry's eyes kind of like, <laughs> wow. <laughs> and it fit perfectly. Mm. It didn't even have to be resized, wow. so it was perfect. And when I said, okay, I'll, I'll take it, the girl <laughs> behind the counter says, oh, my God, i got to sit down. Because that was the biggest sale she'd ever done. Wow. Because it was like twelve and a half thousand dollars Yeah. But like I said at the time, because mm -hmm. I'd sold the business, I had a quarter of a million dollars. Yeah. yeah. So I'm like, not, it's not an object. <laughs> it's not a big yeah. thing. So at that point, she says, she said she yes. She said yes, yes. Thank God. <laughs> and yeah. And how long, how long between then and... Well, she was uh, there for a week, uh -huh. and then she flew back, and that was in July. And then I flew over to the States at the end of August into September. Okay. And the first time I came over here, like I said, she was living in upstate New York. And we drove from upstate New York all the way across to Bremerton, oh, wow. which is over the other side of the right. Puget Sound. Um, we stayed there for a few days because her son was a diver, springboard diver. 
platform driver. And he wanted to be over here and coach under this particular coach. And she'd made him a deal. If he got straight A's, he could do that. So we brought him over and dropped him off there. Then we went down to Orange County to a Ren Fair. Mm. Then we came back up through Nevada, back up, and then back across again. So you circled the entire nation. Oh yeah, nation, and we basically. got we got I got oh, to see yeah. a lot of things. You know, yeah. I got Mount Rushmore, mm. Crazy Horse, Devil's Tower, mm. Custer's Last Stand. Uh, you know, a bunch yeah. of different places. It was really cool. Yeah, I even have one picture where I'm sitting on the wall. We're at Mount Rushmore, and I've got my finger up picking George Washington's <laughs> nose. Very curious of you. That's very yes, curious of you. Yes, yes. That's I awesome. Know. I love it. I love it. I just had to do it. I, yeah. I, it was, the devil made me do it, yeah, as I say. Well, that's really neat. And then, yeah. um, so you were here for a little bit. Mm -hmm. Did you ever go back to Australia? Yes, I had to go back. Um, and then I came. Well, that's another story in mm. itself. Sherry got directions to get back to the airport. And I was going in on, it was a Sunday, I believe. The direction said to go to exit whatever on this particular highway. And when we started going down the highway, right, we're going further and further and further. And I thought, we're getting an awful long way away from, because we're heading south. Yeah. This doesn't seem right. Well, what had happened at the time, in Pennsylvania had their exit numbers the opposite way to everybody else. Oh. So they had switched them to be in line with everyone else. <laughs> well, the problem is they had all these new signs that said exit number going this way right. instead of the way it used to. Mm -hmm. And down in the bottom corner, there was this little itty-bitty sign <laughs> that said old exit right. so-and-so. So, yeah, the MapQuest mm -hmm. had not updated the exit numbers yet because right. of, it had only been done recently mm -hmm. so we're all the way down almost to the other side of Pennsylvania and I'm like we are not going to make my flight mm -hmm. once we figured out what had happened mm -hmm. so I called the airline and told them what was going on I said look there's, I doubt that I'm going to make it and they said alright well you know, your flight doesn't leave for another couple of hours so head back that way and as the time gets closer, let, give us a call back if you're not going to make it mm -hmm. and let us know. I was like, okay. So I did that, and I, there was no way we were going to make it. So I called them back, and they said, all right, well, we get you, we got you on another flight. It'll leave on Wednesday. Same flight number, same time, everything. Right? I'm like, okay, no problem. So we head back to her place, and I t I'm telling her, you know, when the flight is. And she's like, no. I'm like, what do you mean? No. I said, that's when the flight is. And she's like, well, your flight going out is on 9-11. Oh. And it was the first anniversary oh, the first of 9-11. And it arrived in Australia on the Friday, mm. which was Friday the 13th. Oh. <laughs> so she <laughs> was like, yeah, here, she yeah. was like, no, I'm like, come on. I'm not superstitious. Mm -hmm. It's just another day. We got into New York on the Wednesday, the not the first anniversary, and New York was a ghost town. Wow. There was probably two, three cars on the road mm. in New York. Wow. That's it. Just zipping there was, yeah. Town. There was nobody. 
And we got to the airport, there were armed cops everywhere. And I'm not just talking about sidearms, I'm talking about machine guns and stuff like that. Everywhere. Yeah, it was was quite the experience. Mind you, the plane was half empty, so we could spread out and do whatever we wanted. Absolutely. But they, they put an announcement over before we boarded, and they said, if you need to use the restroom, do it before you board the plane because once you are seated on the plane and we take off for at least a half an hour to an hour after we take off no one will be allowed out of their seat if anyone gets out of their seat in that time the plane will turn around come back to new york and that person will be arrested no questions Right, they were just taking precautions because it was the first anniversary. Right. They didn't want anything happening. Right. So, wow. but you know, it was uneventful. We, <laughs> I pretty much slept the whole flight. So it was, you know, wow. pretty boring. Yeah, but that's a that that's a little piece of history there that yeah. you got to live. Yeah, you know? it was a year after, and yeah. New York was a ghost town, which probably hasn't happened ever again. Since yeah, then, yeah, know? exactly. So. Yeah. I I was amazed because when we. When I first landed in New York, or as I like to call it, New Yuck City. New Yuck. Oh, it's disgusting. <laughs> yeah. It really is. It's dirty. You don't want to live there. It's, no, no. Yeah. Yeah. But um, when I first landed, we were coming out, and I mean, it was horrendous. The traffic was, I, I had never seen mm. traffic like that. Yeah. Never. And I was like, I am glad I do not live here. Right. So you're back in Australia. How long before you came back over this way permanently? Came back three days before Halloween on 2002. Okay. So it wasn't that long. No, no, it was. Yeah, I just had. I had. I what I had to do was I had to go because whilst I was over here the first time we. We just talked to an attorney about my coming over, and he said, well, you have to get a visa. Mm-hmm. Right? He said, because if you come over on the visa waiver program like I did when, the first time, mm-hmm. you don't have any status, mm-hmm. right? So therefore, we can't put in for a change of status, right? which is what you would need to be able to stay here. So I'm like, okay. So I went in to get a, to, to get a visa. So it, it took, you know, took a month or so to get the visa. And once I got that, then I could come over and stay. And then we, we went back to the attorney and we got, got him going on that so that I could, you know, get a work permit, get the green card and mm-hmm. all the rest of it going so that I could stay right. legally. Mm-hmm. Right. <laughs> I was not going to do it the yeah. wrong way. Right. No, that's you know? great. Yeah. So um, are you officially an American citizen now? I am. I I became a citizen in 2010. Okay. The same year I got my GED Mm. because I'd never needed anything. um, Because I I mean, I left school in the middle of eighth grade and because I was bored (laughs) to tears at school. Right. Because, I mean, I... I'm I'm fairly smart, mm-hmm. you know, not to blow my own horn, but I am fairly smart. <laughs> right. And the majority of the time in high school, I was sitting there 
basically twiddling my thumbs, mm. waiting for everybody else to catch up. So I, I, I quit school and said, you know, I'm going to go work. And, and you, you know, at some point mm. created this company that you were able to yeah. sell out of and, yep. and live very, com- very yeah. comfortably on yeah. for several, you know, yeah. for a few years. Yeah. And, you know, and... You know, but here you're like you get over yeah, here. So, and Where, now, where's your diploma? Where's yeah, your yeah? Now I need a job, and of course everybody's like, "Well, you know, have you got a high school diploma or a GED?" And I'm like, "Well, no." Mm-hmm. And you know, in in most applications they ask you that. Well, as soon as I would put no, I wouldn't even get an interview. Right. So I'm like, "Well, I got to do something." Right. So I did. I went to um, Spokane Community College. And because you had to do a test to see where you were at, so they knew whether you could go into the program or not. Right, right. So I did the test, aced the test, and they said, "Well, on your test scores, you can do whichever program you want mm-hmm. because you your scores are high enough; you qualify for any program." Right. I said, "Well, I want I want my GED so I can get a job." Right, right. <laughs> so I went in to the first class for the GED. And they're like, okay, well, we need to find out where you're at with, you know, all these these couple of different subjects. So they gave me like four different practice tests. So I did that, handed them back to them, and they went through them. And they came back and said, well, other than the fact that you need to put in so many hours before you can do it, we can give you the test right now. And he's like, um, because you aced every test. <laughs> right. And I'm like, well, okay, so what are we going to do? I said, well, he said, well, you know, he said, you've got to have so many hours. So I, I come, came for, you know, several weeks. I went in and did that. And they each time they just they just give me another practice test for mm-hmm. this or that or whatever, you know. Right. And then there was an actual GED test coming up. So they said, okay, you still don't have enough hours, but we're going to put you in to do it. And I'm like, okay. So I went and did the test and then went back to the class the next week to find out the results. And he said, you did really good. He said, you passed with honors. I'm like, sweet. (laughs) I said, as long as I pass, that's all I cared about. I wanted that paper. Yeah. (laughs) Right, and he's like, okay. He said, well, we're still a few hours short. He said, but don't worry. He said, well, we'll fudge the numbers a bit for you. <laughs> so I'm like, okay, cool. So I got my GED. Yeah, and that was like, and I, you know, that was good enough for me. That's all I wanted. Well, of course, no. Sherry's like, well, you got to walk. I'm like, <laughs> I walk every day. I don't need to. She's like, no, you are going to walk. So I had to get the silly little gown and the hat and. Yeah, mm-hmm. and they forgot my little little sash thing or whatever thing that I was supposed to get from with honors. With honors, <laughs> but I'm like, I don't care. Just get it over. Give <laughs> me the paper. I want to get to work. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> That's all I wanted to do. Yeah. So, what type of of work have you done since since coming to the states? What things have you done? For- Mostly, I since I've been to the states, I've worked in apartment maintenance okay. because. One of one of the things I did back in Australia, I worked at several large uh, timber and hardware chains in mm-hmm. Australia. 
So I know a lot about hardware, I know a lot about timber. Um, I got to know a lot of builders, so I got a lot of different tips. I ran my own handyman business mm. for a few years. So I like working with my hands. Right. You know? So it was a natural thing to do. So that's kind of where I've been for the yeah. most part. I've had a couple of other little bits between them, but, you know, like I worked in the meat department at Walmart mm. for, for a while. And I worked at Goodwill mm -hmm. for about 18 months. That nearly killed me. Oh, oh yeah? Oh, yeah. That was a rough, Especially rough in, stretch. Huh? Well, I was at the donation door, so we were taking in oh. all the donations and stuff. And in the middle of summer when it's really hot and you're carrying all this stuff in, and I'm not getting any younger. Right, right, <laughs> right. And it's fast. You, you, you are going constantly because I worked at the one out in Spokane Valley. Mm. And they get like twice the donations of all the rest of the stores around here put together. And so, yeah, it was always very, very fast paced. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so I was glad to get out of there. Yeah. So, I mean, your, your life story has been pretty, pretty, pretty yeah. rough. Yeah. Yeah. If you look at it, there've been a lot of, there've been some highs. Mm -hmm. There've been a lot of lows. Mm-hmm. And and here you are, after going through all of that stuff, and there's there's I'm sure there's still some well, some mountains yeah, and, yeah. and hills yeah, and I'm valleys sure, yeah, that you're going yeah, through. <laughs> but how do you attribute you being a relatively stable person and not becoming, you know, let me back up. Hmm. If I put myself in your shoes, I don't think I'd be in your shoes today. If I would have <laughs> gone through your childhood. I think I would have been much like maybe your father who flipped the family and, and became a criminal. How did you avoid that? Um, because I didn't want to be my father. Mm. Right? I, I have an ex in Australia, and we, we had a child, and I stayed with her even though it wasn't the greatest of relationships. I stayed with her until my daughter was old enough to go out and be on her own. Right. Because I was brought up that you look after your family, even though my parents didn't actually do that, but that was what was always instilled in me. Mm. You know, and I, I guess kind of in that way, I'm old fashioned in that you know I believe that you put your family ahead of yourself. Mm. You know, and I did for, for my daughter. I stayed there until she was old enough to go and be on her own, mm -hmm. you know? And I would never have changed that for anything. You know, I mean, you know, having my, my kid was, you know, I mean, the day she was born was probably the happiest day of my life. Mm -hmm. I mean, it was just amazing mm -hmm. to see her born, Yeah, you know, even though she wasn't breathing at the time, <laughs> but, but she started breathing but, soon enough. Yeah, yeah, she did. She did. Yeah, <laughs> they they had to rush her off to the ICU for a for a day or two. But mm. but she was okay. Yeah. But you know, it was I, I it was very emotional mm -hmm. and just the most amazing experience. Mm. And I reckon anybody, if they ever get the opportunity to watch a birth, mm. do it. 
absolutely do it. And I'm ashamed to say that I hid those opportunities. <laughs> I was up by my wife and yeah, her head being yeah. being um, um supportive to her. Uh-huh, yeah. And uh I didn't want to see it. Oh, but uh, I regret it. Yeah. Yeah. You know, maybe it, one of my just... daughters will let me. <laughs> <laughs> who knows? Yeah, man, who knows? Yeah. yeah. You know, it's it is. It's absolutely amazing to to know that that's a part of you and it's coming out of someone else. Yeah. You know, and it is. It's absolutely amazing. Mm. So that's a that was a a, a hinge pin moment in mm. your life yeah. that, that yeah. brought you. I don't know where you were before that, but it, you made the decision. I'm going to stick with this child mm-hmm. until she's yep good to yep. go. She's my kid. I am not. I am not going to be a deadbeat dad. Mm-hmm. No way in the world. You right. Know? I. I didn't have my father in my life at all. Mm. And I'm like, she is not going to have that. She will have her father. Mm. You know, there's just no way. I, After what I'd been through, there was no way I was going to put her through that. Right. You know, so. Do you see yourself as a victim at all through all of this? No. Why not? Um. One of the things I believe, and I believe this fervently, is that everything that happens to us happens to us for a reason, mm-hmm. and it makes us who we are. Mm-hmm. I've made mistakes. There have been parts in my life I have not been proud of, you know, and people say, well, you know, if you had the opportunity to go back and change it, you know, what would you do differently? Mm-hmm. And I always say... I wouldn't do anything differently. I would do things exactly the same way that I did them now because doing the things that I've done made me who I am. Mm. And I and I actually I, I'm I'm not a great person by any okay. means. But I'm a decent person. Or at least I I think I'm a decent person. I think you're an awesome person. So, so yeah. you know, and, and if I change things then who knows where I would be or what I would be. Yeah. I might not be a decent person. Yeah. And you mentioned, you know, if, if this other family would have been able to adopt me, my life would have been totally, totally different. Totally different, yeah. Do you, do, do you ever look back at that and go, I wish that would have happened? There, there are times, yes. I, I, I think, you know, because, and I, I, I think I would have had a wonderful life mm-hmm. with those people. Right. Right. But again, I would have probably been a totally different person, and I probably would definitely not be sitting here right now. Right, right. You know, I, because because my life would have been so different. Mm-hmm. You know. Well, and for that, I'm grateful that you are who you are because <laughs> I enjoy sitting with you. Yeah. I mean, I, I I enjoy coming over here every once in a while, just shooting the crap with you because yeah. it's yeah. fun. You know. What? Oh, I want to ask this question. Mm. Have you have you spent much time? I know you recently bought a little boat. Mm-hmm. Have you spent much time on boats throughout yes. your life? Yes. Tell me a boat story. Oh, a good <laughs> boat story. I, oh, I got a great one for you. Mm-hmm. Okay, I I worked at one point. I worked for ACI Glass Industries back in Australia, okay. and it was in a huge factory making glass bottles. Right now, the temperature, the ambient temperature in the factory is like fifty degrees Celsius, which is 
really hot. Really hot. <laughs> right. You go outside after you've been in there, and it could be, you know, um, 35 degrees, 100 degrees right. in Fahrenheit, whatever. And you come outside and you go, oh, this is so nice. <laughs> you know? right. But even though it's so hot, it's it's really easy to take because it's a dry heat, you know, because it's there's all this molten glass and there is no moisture in the air because it basically heats it all out. And anyway, we had a the, the company had a standing charter once a month with a um, boat. Mm-hmm. to go deep sea fishing. Mm. Well, the first time, it was probably about two months after I started working there, and I had a, a friend who actually got me in there, and he was Lebanese, which is has some funny stories there as well, mm. but um, most of the guys that worked there were Lebanese. Mm. So I, I got to learn some of the bad Lebanese words, <laughs> of course. You know, that's yeah, cool, what everybody learns is right. the bad words. Uh-huh. Um, but he said, you know, hey, do you want to go on the fishing? I'm like, well, yeah, I love fishing, you know. I said, how much is it? And he said, it was like 50 bucks. So I was like, yeah, why not? Mm-hmm. So he said, all right, so... He says, we've got to be down there at like six o'clock in the morning to get on the boat. And of course, it's down in Sydney Harbour. Mm. We lived out in Campbelltown, which is, you know, an hour and a half okay. west of Sydney, southwest. So we had to get up at like four o'clock in the morning. So we get up and I go down there, bang on his door and he opens the door up. He's like, come on in. He said, I'm just making some breakfast. So he's like, you want a drink? I'm like. Yeah, okay, what do you got? And he says, a beer. I'm like, okay, I'm in. <laughs> At four in the morning. <laughs> oh, yeah, absolutely. Um, so we had a beer. We we only had the one to, to, to wake up. Uh-huh. And then we drove down. We get on the boat, and we've got a carton of beer, which is, you know, 24 beers. Mm-hmm. And we drank all morning. Mm-hmm. And we fished. Anyway... We we weren't doing all that well. We were catching some, but not not much. And I'm like, Captain, have we got a bathroom on here? Or as in Australia, as we call it, you got a dunny on here? <laughs> and he's like, yeah, down below, first door on the right. I'm like, okay. So I go down there, and the the head, which mm-hmm. is the correct name for right. it, in the, was on the opposite side of the boat to what we were fishing on. Mm-hmm. So... I did what I had to do, flushed mm-hmm. the toilet, which was a bucket of water right, right. down there, go back out, and I sit down at my reel to see what I'm doing, and I looked over, and here's all this paper and stuff floating out under the boat. And one of the guys is like, oh, my God, that's <laughs> gross. And then he's like, oh, crap, I've got a, something big. So he starts reeling this thing in. He brought in this snapper that was about two and a half foot long and just huge, the biggest (laughs) snapper I've ever seen. Right. Right? And, of course, as he's winding this up, there's paper getting caught on the line, and he's like, ah, just do it. (laughs) So he winds it up, gets his snapper out. Well, then, of course... They're all kind of looking, and they're like, well, okay, who else needs to take a crap because I want to catch something like that too? Chumming the water for them. Yeah. 
Oh man. Yeah. So, That's good. But we 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 gee, we used to catch a lot of fish, you know. Mm. We catch a lot of fish, drink a lot of beer, mm -hmm. and it was it was great. And working at the glass factory. We had these ovens near each of the machines where you would put the um, molds into to heat them up before okay. they went on the machine. Because mm -hmm. if you tried doing it into a cold mold, the glass would stick oh. to it and they all kinds of horrible things. Right. So what we would do is we'd take in a whole fish mm -hmm. and we'd put lemon butter and stuff, wrap it in foil, and just you'd stick them in one of these ovens, kilns, whatever uh -huh. they were, uh -huh. for like 10 minutes, and it's done. Yeah. You know, you pull it out, and you've got this fresh cooked fish, and it's just, yeah, it's just <laughs> amazing. <laughs> Was most of the fishing you did deep sea fishing? Uh, no, I we did that once a month. We did that, oh, God, for several years. We would go out every few months. We'd do it. Um, but. We used to go um, fishing off the rocks a lot too, down south of Sydney at a place called um, mm. Kayama. That's where it was, um, which is like it was probably about another hour and a half south from where we lived at, in Campbelltown. But we'd get out there and we'd be fishing on the, off the rocks. You know, we'd get down there at like midnight and we'd fish through the night and mm. through the day. And we got we got some great fish down there. Mm. My my buddy JJ the the Lebanese that mm -hmm. got me the job, he hooked onto something one night, and he fought it for about four hours, and really made no headway. Mm. Anyway, as the light came up, we saw this guy coming around the rocks, um, diving like. Um, Snorkeling, mm. right? And he came down around near where we were at and he kind of poked his head up and he said, you know, you're doing any good? And, of course, JJ's still got this thing on there and he's like, I've got something on here. He said, I don't know what the heck it is, but it's big. Mm -hmm. And he's like, oh, you might have this ray that's down here. Well, he said, it's, he said, this ray mm -hmm. was probably the size of a Volkswagen. Oh, man. He said, you are never going to pull that sucker out. <laughs> he said, there is no way. Mm -hmm. He said, he is sitting on the bottom, and every so often he'll move along a little bit. <laughs> and he said, yeah, you, you, you're you not going to, because he's on the bottom. He said, there is no way in the world you're going to dislodge him. No, no way. <laughs> so we ended up, we just pulled a knife out and cut, cut the line uh. and started all over again. <laughs> but, yeah, you know, it was, we we got lots, of, we used to get lots down there. We'd mm. catch a lot of stuff that we didn't keep because um, one, of the, one of the things that would go through there a lot was Bonito. Very, it's kind of like tuna, but it's really, really oily. So it's not a good eating fish. No. And, you, and when, if you do catch it, if you're going to keep it, you've got to bleed it straight away. Mm. Otherwise, it's horrible. So a lot of times, we wouldn't even keep them. We, great, great to fight. Fight like crazy. Mm. But then as soon as you get them in, unhook them, toss them back. Yeah. You know, they're not really good to eat. Mm. But Interesting. Yeah, it was a lot of fun. Very good. So what have I missed any story that you feel you really want to share? Something that maybe was another hinge pin moment in your life where this happened and it affected me in this way that uh, 
has changed my life for one yeah. way or the other. Yeah. Um, probably when I was in the army. Hmm. I um, I joined the Australian Army when I was 18, and I was in there for three years. And the last year that I was in there, I was driving an ambulance. And it was high stress. Hmm. And I actually had a nervous breakdown hmm. because of it. And at that point, that that changed me in a lot of ways at the time because I used to let things get to me a lot. Um, my mother knew exactly which buttons to press to get to me as well. And once that happened and I got over that, which took a while, mm -hmm. but I did. I got over it and I said, you know, I, I'm not going to let things get to me that bad again. It, there's been times when I've gotten very, very close to that. There's been times when I've got past that mm. since. But, you know, I try. I've, ever since that point in my life, I have tried not to let things get to me. Does that mean... Emotionally, emotionally, I mean, anger yeah. or what? Emotionally. emotionally. I, I, I was an emotional wreck. I mean, mm -hmm. at the, when I had the nervous breakdown, my nerves were so shot, right, that if someone walked past me, I would literally jump out of my skin. Mm. I, it would just wow. freak me out. And I made the decision at that point that I am not going to let things worry me mm. or get me to that point. I will do whatever is necessary, be it just distance myself from whatever is causing. Mm -hmm. Or if I can't distance myself from it, ignore it. Yeah. And that, how has that served you throughout your life? That For the part? most part, that's done me really well. You know, I mean... I've, as I said, I've had times since where I've gone past that point again, and luckily I've had the right people around me mm -hmm. to get through it. Uh, I nearly didn't get through it, mm. but, you know, I'm still here, so yeah. obviously, you know. Do you mind if I ask a few questions around that? Sure. Were the experiences that led you to that nervous breakdown, was it like traumatic type things that you had seen and witnessed, or was it the stress of the a, a job bit, itself? A bit or? of both. Yeah. Um, one, the stress of the, the job itself, because as an ambulance driver in the Army, you we, we were short-staffed in, in the ambulance field, and so we had to work... Because we had to have it covered 24 hours a day, right? Mm -hmm. So each of us would work one night a week, mm -hmm. and every so many weekends, we had to work a weekend. Well, mm -hmm. when you worked a night, you started at 8 o'clock in the morning. Mm -hmm. You did not finish till 5 o'clock the next day. Mm -hmm. If you worked the weekend, you started at 8 o'clock on Friday morning. You did not finish at eight o'clock Friday morning, mm -hmm. you did not finish till five o'clock on Monday. Wow. Right. And you had to be 
there at the hospital, they had a, a room for us, mm-hmm. um, and you, you couldn't go to bed before 11 o'clock, right? Mm-hmm. And then if they needed the ambulance in the middle of the night, you were up, mm-hmm. so you didn't really get a lot of sleep, and right. you were up again at 5 o'clock, you know? So it was very stressful. Right. And then I did a trip with a friend of mine. He... They, they weren't quite sure what was wrong with him. And the military hospital, which was at Ingleburn, didn't have the facilities because it was basically just a, a small hospital, didn't have an operating room or anything like that, just had beds and, you know. Well, they weren't sure what was wrong with him, but he was in a lot of pain. They couldn't work, figure out if it was a gallbladder or something like that. So we had to transfer poured him up to um, Concord Repat Hospital, which the trip normally would take about an hour normal driving. You can do it with red lights and siren in about 40 minutes. Mm. Well, it took us almost three hours because every little jolt, every little bump would just be like someone stabbing a knife in him. Mm. And so we had to go very slow. We couldn't stop. Mm. So we had to, you know, when we would come into a red light or anything, we had to use the lights and sirens to get through, even though we were just crawling, Mm -hmm. you know. And that was, that was probably the most stressful thing I have ever done, Mm. ever. Because this is your friend in the back there. Yeah, yeah. And like I said, this took nearly three hours mm. to get us up there. Once we got up there and they offloaded him, and I was sitting there with the matron, because she, she came on the trip because she was looking after him. She was a major, mm-hmm. so she was a registered nurse. And um, we sat down just inside the, um, the uh, waiting area when we got there. And she looked at me and she said, are you okay? And I'm like, not really. Because mm. she said, you've gone white as a sheet. And I'm mm. like, yeah. I said, I, I don't know why. I said, I just feel really off. Mm. She's like, I know exactly why you're feeling the way you are. Mm-hmm. She said, it's the the stress, the adrenaline, because you know, you've been there mm. for nearly three hours on this trip. And the whole trip has been stressful. She mm. said it is quite understandable. Mm. So it was it actually, it was kind of cool because, you know, she would be a major, because mm-hmm. right, me being a private was, you know, you don't talk normal. To, it's like, yes, ma'am, no, mm-hmm. ma'am. Mm-hmm. And, and she was just, you know, and being a normal person. Mm-hmm. So that that was the only thing that actually got me through that mm. but yeah it was very very stressful so did your friend come out okay in the he end? did he did he uh they ended up they rushed him straight into the er and his gallbladder had actually split open no. yeah mm. so that's why he was in such a bad way yeah but yeah they they fixed him up we we sat there me and the matron we sat there and and just chatted probably for about 45 minutes before we got back in the ambulance and headed back down. She's like, yeah, she said, there was no rush. 
She said, if they need us, they'll call us. Just we'll relax, let everything settle down, then we'll head back. Mm. So that was kind of cool. Yeah. That's uh that would be a very stressful situation. Yeah. yeah. Do you think and once again I'm putting myself mm-hmm. in those shoes even though I've never been there. If it was my friend, I'd be very yeah. much the same. Yeah. If it was just some old some bloke that I didn't know, I'd probably be like, We're gonna get there. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah. But yeah, what, I mean, exactly. is that is that somehow you do you think you would have done that or do you think you're wired to where I'm well, gonna make this guy comfortable no matter who he is? Yeah, I, I think I would have. Um but there are certain situations where you know, I mean, one of the things I was lucky enough to see was an autopsy, mm. right? Mm. And even though, you know, it's kind of freaky to mm-hmm. see someone getting cut open. Right. You know, it was probably one of the most interesting things I've ever seen. Mm. And, and she was like 19 years old. Mm. And she looked like she was about 100. Mm. She was a drug addict, mm. and she died from an overdose. Wow! Right? Um, it's just amazing, you know, when 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 they cut you open and you you, you just see everything in there. You know, it's right. like it's just again, it's another another one of those amazing moments in life where, okay, you know, it's kind of creepy, but I wouldn't have missed it for the world. Right? You know, but that. That was nowhere near as stressful as you know the other one. Mm. Well, it was totally different, and and I I could I I handled that easily, mm. and yet I I saw a film where someone was shooting up and they were shooting up in their shin, mm. and just seeing that I nearly passed out. Wow, <laughs> like, yes. uh, weird. Yeah, that is weird. Yeah, really cool. Yeah. What do you want your Children, grandchildren, I mean, we talked about this a mm. little bit earlier. What do you want them to remember you by? To think of you, hey, Grandpa Chris, I mm. want to, this is what I remember him. I just, I guess, all I really want is just if people remember me as just a decent bloke, you know? I think, you know, if they, if, if when I'm done and they're thinking back about the times they spent with me or whatever, and they can think, well, you know, I enjoyed his company. He was a decent bloke, you know. I'm happy with that. Yeah. And what do you want to do for the rest of however long life you have? What 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 types of things uh, do you still want to accomplish? I, I want to. I actually want to get out and travel a bit more. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, I've been to England. I've been over quite a lot of the eastern half of Australia. And I've been over a lot of America. I've probably seen a lot more of America than most Americans than have. I have. Yeah. Um, but I there there is so much more that I want to see. You know, I I'm really into history. Mm-hmm. I love history, mm-hmm. especially World War One, World War Two history. Mm-hmm. Um, when I was in England, I really, really, really wanted to get down to Normandy to mm-hmm. to to visit the beaches. Unfortunately, I ran out of time, so I never did. Um, but I, I still want to go back. I still want to do that. Um, I want to go over to the east coast here to because that's where a lot of the battlefields and the historical places here in the states are. And, and there's a lot I want to see. You know, I want I want to I want to go to DC because mm. you know I mean there's some of the 
history there, you know. Yeah. I mean, it's just amazing. Um, some of the battlefields, I, I mean, I'd love to get out on some of the old battlefields with a metal detector. Oh, yeah. You know, and find some actual history. Like ball or something. Yeah, yeah. Okay. you know. I mean, because that, you know, you, you, you can find something and you don't know. That, that ball could have been the one that killed somebody. Right, you right. Know? It's, it's a piece of history that mm -hmm. you, you can't change. Right. Right? But you can appreciate. Right. And, you know, you look at it, and the, the way I look at history is if you study history and you recognize what happened and where they made their mm -hmm. mistakes and stuff, then perhaps we can prevent the same things happening again. Yeah. You know? It's so often that happens. I mean, mm -hmm. history, I mean, it's a, it's yeah. an old, uh, it's the old cliche. Yeah. History repeats itself. Yes. And if yes. you don't learn from you, it, you're going to repeat if you, it. If you put it aside and you forget about it, it is bound to happen again. Mm -hmm. Is there anything that you see in the world today that you see is a repeat of history and not in a positive way? Yes. And it's kind of like back in the back in the old Crusader days, mm -hmm. where it was the Christians against the Muslims. Mm -hmm. And it's happening again. Yeah. You know, I mean, you know, look at, look at just recently, you've had the shooting down in New Zealand, mm -hmm. where they targeted Muslims. Right. Then just this last weekend, where, Sri Lanka. yeah, mm -hmm. they targeted Christians. You know, so it's, it's back, it's like 600, 700 years ago, repeating itself all over again. Any words of wisdom that, I, that you'd like to share that uh, maybe some principles that you try to live by? I mean, you, you mentioned some earlier, but any others that you want to bring up before we close this down? Yeah, probably, uh, probably the biggest thing, I think, especially for like family or anything like that, is once... If someone makes a mistake and, and you get angry at them, which you invariably do, mm -hmm. you know, don't hold on to it. Mm. Don't hold on to it. I, I did that for far too long with my mother, and I absolutely regret it. Absolutely. If I could go back and actually change anything, that would probably be the only thing that I would change is that I would talk with my mother. Because I held that for so long. And I think that is my biggest regret in life. Mm -hmm. Don't hold it. You know, if you've got a problem, say, I got a problem and deal with it. Don't just push it away and ignore it forever because it'll come back to bite you in the ass. Man, I loved that conversation and I loved that lesson that he shared from painful experience there at the end. What are you holding on to? What resentments do you have in your life? That's a question that I'm asking myself as well as you, the audience. Let it go. Talk to that person or it will come back and bite you in the backside. Thank you once again for listening in to the Journey Through Life podcast. If this episode or any of the other episodes that you have listened to or you will listen to make an impact on you, Please rate and review us in iTunes or Stitcher or Spotify or 
wherever it is you get your podcasts. Please subscribe to the Journey Through Life podcast if you have not already, and tell your friends and family about it. Many of the listeners, yes, are friends and family directly of uh, many of the guests, as this is really set up to be one of the purposes for this podcast is for this to be kind of a legacy for the person who I'm talking about or talking with so that their children, grandchildren, and great-grandchildren, one, two, three generations from now, a hundred years from now, can say, I wonder what Grandpa Palfrey was like. I found this podcast, and now I get to listen to him in his own voice. What a powerful legacy that can be, where we can share the things that are most important to us with others. So if you have any desire to... Um, be a guest on the podcast, or perhaps to record your own history, or uh, maybe you have a grandparent that's still alive and has a great story to share, or a parent who you want to have something like this happen with. You can reach out to me at the JTL podcast at gmail.com or at no and do podcast at gmail.com, and we can line this up. Also, check out our, 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 our new partner, A Life Untold. That's a great way to get part of that story down too. Anyways, thank you for listening again. Have a fantastic day. Mm-hmm.